Good morning, everybody. We can do a little better, maybe. Good morning, everybody. There we go. Perfect. All right. So I'm going to say a prayer over our tithes and offerings before we get started here this morning. And just a reminder, we don't pass the plate around. Our boxes are on the back by the doors. So, Father, we just lift up um, our giving and the way we think about how uh, we give towards you, how we sow into your kingdom this morning, Father. Uh, and I just asked, Father, as we're listening to the words of Pastor Larry, uh, that you would give us uh, ears to hear and that they would, uh, he would be sowing things into us today that would be leading us through the rest of this week, the rest of this month, even this year, perhaps. Um, Father, I just ask that we would remember um, that of all the things in this world, uh, the situations we go through, the, the things that we desire, the things that we want to see happen, um, the things that we have, the things that we don't have, um, that we'd remember that the most precious thing that we have from you, Jesus, is your word. That one word from you is worth far more than anything else we could gain in this world. So in your name, Jesus, amen. Just a few quick announcements before we introduce our special guest today. We will be having a fellowship meal after the service. We want to invite you to stay for that and it is a meal but also so much fellowship that we have there together and then just a few upcoming things next week will be our thanksgiving service and our youth will be helping in the service again and then also with the meal which will be turkey and trimmings and we even are going to have pumpkin pie and apple pie that some folks are going to supply for us just a few more upcoming things. You can see them there. Doug and Abby Cooley will be sharing on December 1. Joyce and I will be sharing a couple letters that we wrote 44 years ago. That'll be on December 8. And then we have our Christmas story on the 15th of December and our Christmas service after that. But it's really a pleasure for me to introduce someone here or both Larry and Beck Dorman. Um, we've known them now probably six or seven years more closely. And uh, Larry has become, I would say, a very close friend of mine. He's someone who I just sense the love of Jesus coming from him very much. And uh, been able to share a lot of things together. Uh, Pastor Larry is our overseer uh, for our church and other churches in this northern region of Minnesota for Tribridge. And uh, we've just had a very positive and blessed connection there with Tribridge Ministries. Uh, it was probably about five or six years ago that they helped us through some real transitional things. And uh, what a blessing that was. But then ongoing, there's just been that connection. We'll be going to a pastor's retreat here uh, in January. Looking forward to that that we have each year uh, to be with other pastors and their wives and from across Minnesota and Wisconsin and a few other places too. But uh, I just really enjoy, I look very much forward to the times when I am going to be getting together with Larry over coffee and just sharing our hearts together. And uh, we're going to be having an, an offering for, for Pastor Larry and Becky that will go to them. 
Um, at the close of the service, Darlene will have a offering uh, bucket there in the back. And uh, so t checks for that, you can make up to 10th Street Community Church and we'll write one to them then. And we're also going to have them in the back, so you'll get to give them a hug or shake their hand as you go out, because we'd really like you to meet them this morning. So, with that, I'll ask Pastor Larry to come up. God bless you. Okay. Thank you, Steve, for the gracious introduction. And having seen that next week you're doing a turkey dinner with all the trimmings with apple and pumpkin pie, I feel led by the flesh to do this in two parts <laughs> and come back next week and enjoy the Mexican meal today and turkey next week. And we're here, man. <laughs> no, actually. <laughs> Um, it is great to be here and see some old friends and meet some new people, and it's a privilege. We just so appreciate 10th Strike Community Church. You guys have something very precious here in the way of God's presence. It can be tangibly felt. Don't you love the presence of the Holy Spirit and just sensing the presence of the Lord? Well, I'm going to share a, kind of a teaching today. I might do a little preaching, but more of a teaching on something that's near and dear to my heart. So, Ben, could you put that picture up for us? You know, the enemy, the enemy has a goal to get us in a ditch somewhere where we're not moving forward in Christ. The two ditches, the two main ditches that most things fit into that keep us from advancing is the ditch of license. Um, that's where we get the word licentiousness, sinfulness, things that are contrary to God. Uh, the, the ditch of license could be categorized where, where somebody, a Christian, might say, God loves me no matter what. No matter what I do, God still loves me and he forgives me. How many know it's true God loves you? How many know it's true God forgives you? But how many also know it's true it really does matter what you do and how you live? And this, this false grace, this licentiousness is, doesn't matter what I do, and it takes the black and whites of scriptures, the right and wrongs that are clearly in the Bible, and just kind of makes them gray. And I don't have to do that. I'm just gonna, you know, God loves me. The problem with that is it really affects your life in a negative way, that you don't grow in righteousness and holiness like we're supposed to, and there's no change in your life. Christians that are in that ditch just they, they're not growing. They're not becoming more like Christ. That's bad. The other ditch is legalism. Legalism is quite the opposite. It's taking the grays of Scripture, and for those of you that are black and white, well, there's no grays in the Bible. It's all black and white, right or wrong. Actually, that's not true. There's whole chapters devoted to things that are disputable matters, that one person might think, I should be doing this, and another do this, and you both do it unto the Lord, Romans 14. So legalism is more, I'm going to please God by my set of rules, by a set of rules. This is it. It's, it's how you, you shouldn't go to that movie, and you shouldn't listen to that music, and you should dress this way or not dress that way. And people that are in legalism have a bunch of rules that they're trying to follow that they feel bring them closer to God. People that are in the ditch of legalism usually look at other Christians that might be struggling, and instead of having mercy and grace for them and wanting to help them, they're usually judging them and looking down at them. They're not as holy as me, because they don't follow the rules like I do, okay? So those are just quick summaries 
of the ditches of license and legalism, but then there's the true gospel of grace. How many love the true gospel of grace? Where it's not legalism, it's not license, it's Jesus who is our goal. It's Jesus who's working in our hearts and in our lives by the Holy Spirit. And he is drawing us and he is calling us. And as we grow and have our eyes on him, like Paul said, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one that we're moving to. We are falling more in love with Christ. Our lives are bearing fruit of righteousness. It's not a self-righteousness like the legalist. It's not a false righteous like the person in the, in the ditch of license. It's true righteousness. We are becoming more like Christ because our focus is on him. Our love for him is increasing. Our appreciation for what he did for us is increasing. And we are growing and our lives are being transformed. That's where we want to be. Amen? Okay, today I want to share with you a little bit about legalism that's a different type of legalism than us having our own set of rules and what we think is righteous living. It's actually a legalism that is growing in our modern day culture. And it's a legalism that actually goes right back to the scriptures. How many have heard somebody say, well, most Christians don't obey the whole Bible. If you really love God, you not only follow the New Testament, you'd follow the Torah. You'd follow the law. You'd follow the Old Testament. It's in the Bible. You'd follow the commandments in the Bible. I got a call from a sweet lady. Uh, I've never met her. And she was doing a celebration of a certain Jewish feast, rented a hall in a public town west of us, and wanted me to promote it. And, and uh, I asked her some questions, and she shared with me that some years ago, she was reading through Leviticus, and she read uh, where God was talking about the feast that these are my appointed feasts that you should be obeying. And she said, I realize that Christians don't obey the feasts of God. It says right in the Bible, God says these are my appointed feasts and you should be obeying them. And she has devoted her life to studying the feasts and practicing them, believing now, I just want to say that at Country Faith, we do a Passover Seder occasionally, and it's one of those seven Jewish feasts that is a beautiful foreshadowing of who Jesus is and what he was going to do ultimately as our Passover lamb. I love looking at the Old Testament. I love looking at the feasts, but she was believing we are, we are disobeying God by not following them according to the letter of the law. And so... What do you say to people like that? What do you say to people like that? I hope when we're done here, in hopefully about 35 minutes, you will understand what you should say to somebody like that, who says those kind of things, and why you can give a very solid biblical answer because you understand the whole concept of covenant. And you understand the covenant that you are walking in and that you are connected to God through. So let's go to Galatians chapter, well, actually, yeah, Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to read a few verses here, starting with verse 3 of Galatians 1. There we go. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned. Check that out just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. 
All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Typical introduction of the Apostle Paul to one of his letters to churches that God used him to establish. Then he says in verse 6, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news or the gospel, but is not the gospel at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. It's in your Bible. We just read from the New Testament. How many would say with me, Paul is very serious here? Paul is upset. What is he so upset about? What is this different gospel? What is this you started out right? I'm shocked that you've turned away so fast. Let me explain to you what he was addressing here. The church was young. The church started in Jerusalem. The mother church was in Jerusalem. That's where the apostles were. And then the church started branching out and doing what Jesus said, go into all the world. Paul and Barnabas were sent out from the church of Antioch to go and establish, preach the gospel and establish churches. And they did that in the region of Galatia. That's one of the areas that they did. But then a group of teachers came out of Jerusalem that were called the Judaizers. And they were Jewish believers, so to speak. They were, they believed the gospel, they received the gospel, but they didn't have the revelation that Paul had about what grace really was. So their message was, you need to believe in Jesus and keep the law of Moses. And their pet doctrine was circumcision. Gentile believers that are getting saved, that are responding to the gospel of grace and getting their sins forgiven and getting filled by the Holy Spirit, they now must go back to the law of Moses and all the male children must be circumcised. And Paul was absolutely upset with this kind of teaching that was telling people, believe in Jesus, it's not enough though, you must obey the law of Moses. Ben, could you put up a picture? How many would say I've hardly changed in 52 years? Thank you, you're as deceived as me. (laughs) That actually is my bar mitzvah picture. Many of you don't know, I, I grew up in a Jewish home, grew up in the Bronx, New York, and at 13 years old, boys are bar mitzvahed and girls are bat mitzvahed. And it's the coming of age, it's the today I am a man, today I'm responsible before God. Now, it looks very, I look kind of pious and devout, don't I? But to be honest with you, I grew up in a home where God really was not very real. We were kind of high holy day, go to synagogue Jews, kind of like Easter Christmas Christians. Bar mitzvah for me was thank goodness I'm done with this and I don't have to go to Hebrew school anymore and I don't have to do this. It's kind of like confirmation for so many around here. It's like I paid my dues, I'm done. Please, mom and dad, I'm not doing that anymore. And that's how it was for me. However, I remember sitting on the platform of Jewish Jewish Center of Unionport in the Bronx, New York, and Rabbi Silver, who rarely spoke in English during a service because it was all in Hebrew and it would be almost like maybe growing up in a Roman Catholic church where everything's in Latin. 
and you're not exactly sure what's going on, and you did the liturgical things and, and so forth, but Rabbi Silva gave a speech that day when me and Mark Califf, I just remembered his last name, we were being bar mitzvah together, and he gave a speech about it's really important that we be good Jews because, you know, as Jews, we're blending into the culture in America. We need to maintain our Judaism and we need to be good Jews. And he gave the speech to us that don't let this be the end of your Jewishness. And I remember sitting there as this 13-year-old kid and think, who really didn't, I didn't like this stuff. I didn't like going to synagogue. I, I never really f knew there was a God and we had no prayer at home and everything was just, you know, culture and tradition. And, but I remember sitting there that day and thinking, I really do. I need to be a better Jew. I need to be a better Jew than my parents are. I need to be a good Jew. And I think by the next morning that feeling was gone. But when I got saved 10 years later, the Holy Spirit quickened that. I remembered thinking, I need to be a better Jew. Well, 10 years later, I became a much better Jew. I received the Messiah by faith. And I really do have a passion for people and Christians to understand the true freedom we're supposed to walk in. I love the Old Testament. You can take the picture down now. Um, it's rich with wisdom, lessons to help us live victorious lives, reveals the character of God. It's instrumental. I mentioned Passover, a lot of your heads started shaking. What an amazing picture. The blood of the lamb applied to the, the doorpost and the lintel of the children of Israel's homes, death passing over, and a mighty hand of deliverance through the Red Sea saved from Pharaoh the oppression of slavery into the promised land. And the Bible tells us how, as wonderful as that was, it was a foreshadowing of the greater Passover lamb who would come, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood once for all and save us not from Pharaoh and not from a physical oppression, but save us from the devil, save us from our sin and lead us into a promised land that lives forever with him called heaven. That's what Passover, so to understand the Old Testament and those foreshadowings and pictures, I love it. There's an expression that says, and if you put that up, Ben, the new, see the New Testament is in the old. Passover, we just talked about that. That's a picture of God's redemption through Messiah, through the blood of the lamb. It's in the old concealed, and then the old in the new opens up and is revealed. They go together. So here's my question. How do we, as Christians, New Testament Christians, how do we relate to the Old Testament scriptures? And here we go. I'm going to just do a little teaching here. Another word for testament is covenant, which means a legal contract, a binding agreement between two or more parties, with each having certain obligations. Now, the covenant that we talk about, the law, the Torah, is the Mosaic covenant or the Sinaitic covenant. It's the covenant, and I'll explain that, what's up there in just a second, we're talking about the covenant that God made with the children of Israel when he led them out of Egypt, brought them to Mount Sinai. That's why it's the Sinaitic covenant. Moses was the mediator or the Mosaic covenant, same one. It's the covenant that God made with the children of Israel at that point in history. Now, the, the type of covenant that was common in Bible times was a suzerainty covenant. It was initiated by a suzerain who was generally a, a very wealthy 
powerful landowner that would often covenant with uh, people. Now, he had resources and power. He would guarantee benefits and protection. This is historical. You, you could find this throughout history. You find this in Europe, in, in even the Dark Ages. These types of covenant where the wealthy landowner would give a portion of land to uh, servants or vassals. Let's put up the next slide. It was agreed upon by a vassal who was a servant with needs. I, I, I need things. I don't have all these power, this power, resources, and money, and so forth. And uh, the suzerain guarantees benefits and protection. The vassal is expected to remain loyal and keep their part of the covenant. In Bible times, covenant was known, if we could go to the next one, Ben, it was known and understood to involve promise, commitment, faithfulness, and loyalty. How many have ever heard us in America say, you know, there was a time here in our country when a man's word was his word and he meant it, right? Nowadays, it's you better get it in writing or it's going to come back and bite you. Well, back in Bible times, they had certain ways to uh, agree that they're covenant, covenanting, but their word was their word and they understood its promise, commitment, faithfulness, and loyalty. Now, that's the kind of covenant that God made with Israel when he called them out of Egypt, met them at Sinai, and I'm going to go to Exodus chapter 24, and you can turn to it or you could read along with me. Again, we talked about God, you know, the plagues, the last one was death of the firstborn, passed over the children of Israel because the blood was applied. He led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, miraculous deliverance, brings them to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up to the mountain. God gives him the law. And he comes down in verse 3 of Exodus 24. It says, then Moses went down to the people from God at the top of the mountain with, and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. Verse 7, then he took the book of the covenant and read it aloud to the people. Again, they all responded, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will obey. You see, God in that covenant said, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, and I will do this, but you need to do this. And it included the Ten Commandments, but the Ten Commandments were not the whole Old Covenant. The rabbis tell us that from Exodus 20 to Deuteronomy, the end of Deuteronomy, there are 613 commandments. And God said, this is how I want you to live. Now, I want you to understand that God was calling them into a land that he promised to Abraham, and the land was filled with pagan people. Polytheistic people who worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars. They had all sorts of false gods. Some of them, uh, the god of Molech, they would take their children, throw it was a furnace with the image of an ugly beast, and they would throw their children into a fiery furnace as an offering to Molech. There were temples, certain types of worship that included prostitution, illicit sexual practices. There, there was such evil in the land. And God was calling his people, you're coming out to me to be a separate people, to be a holy people, to be my people, to be people like me. And he gave them 613 commandments. This is how you walk. This is how I am. I'm holy and righteous. I want you to be holy and righteous. This is how you treat each other. 
This is what you do. You don't rob, you don't kill, you don't covet, you don't do these things. You're a holy people unto me, says the Lord. You got the picture? Okay, and so Moses reads to them the covenant. They say everything. They repeat it twice. Everything the Lord has commanded us, we will do. We will be his people. Then, verse 8, Leviticus 24, 8. I'm sorry, Exodus. Moses took the blood from the basins, splattered it over the people, declaring, look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. And the blood was symbolic of Atoning forgiveness, purifying sanctification, serious, serious commitment. Something died. This is serious. And they enter into covenant with God at Mount Sinai. Everything God says will do. They enter into a relationship with Yahweh, the God of Israel. Now the question is, is that covenant still in effect today? And are its stipulations and commands still binding on us as Christians? So let's go to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a fascinating book that actually specifically deals with the two covenants, the two types of priesthoods, the Levitical priesthood and the Old Covenant, and Jesus, the high priest of the New Covenant. But let's, for time's sake, we're just going to pick... Here are some poignant scriptures in Hebrews. Hebrews 8, verse 6. But now Jesus, he had just talked about the Levitical priesthood in in the Old Covenant, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior. Say that with me. Far superior to what? To the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. He's been given a ministry far superior to that old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant, say far better covenant, with God based on better promises, say better promises, far superior ministry, far better covenant based on far better promises. If the first covenant, he's talking about the Mosaic covenant that the children of Israel entered in with God. If that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. Say with me, replace it. This is the Bible, folks. But when God found fault with the people, he said, now he quotes, the writer of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah 31, word for word. The day is coming. And this was prophesied 700 and some years prior to Christ. Jeremiah prophesied. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they need to teach their relatives saying you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. When God speaks of a new covenant, it means he he has made the first obsolete. Who made the first obsolete? 
God. God. It is now out of date and will soon disappear. I want you to, to note, this is so important to get. Sometimes Christians think, wow, that old Testament, yeah, you know, I read that, all the laws and stuff. That was so hard. It was probably so hard, God had to come up with a new one. That's not it at all. God had a plan and a purpose for the old covenant. We're going to see what that is in, in just a minute. But it was him, you need to see it was him that planned the first one, the Mosaic covenant. It was him that ever and always, from the beginning of time, knew that that covenant would not last forever. It was there for time and purpose. But it would be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. You know, it says in Revelation that Christ was slain before the foundation. It was always God's plan. It wasn't that, gee, this is so hard, they're not able to do it, I better come up with a new covenant. Just take that kind of thinking and throw it out. God is amazing, God is a genius, and from the beginning of time, this was his plan. Let's see what that plan involved. Why, what did the old covenant do? We're, we're taught some very clear things in scripture. Romans chapter three. Romans chapter three. We'll start with verse 19. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose was to keep people from having excuses. Interesting. And to show the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. See, Paul knew that. Long ago, the prophets prophesied a new covenant would be coming. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, and he's talking about Jew or Gentile. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So again, the law applies to whom it was given. Its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. Paul says something very similar here. Galatians 3, verse 19. Why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise. Now, he's talking about the promise of the Savior of the world coming, the promise of a child. For unto us a son, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. That's one of the prophecies in Isaiah that Paul's referencing. Why was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Who's that child? Jesus. We're going to celebrate his coming in just after Thanksgiving. It's called Christmas. The law was given only until the coming of the child who was promised. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now, a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement, but God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. 
Check it out. If the law could have given us new life, that's why the law was weak. The law was perfect. Paul said the law is perfect. I mean, it shows us who God is. It shows us that he's holy and righteous, and it tells us how we're supposed to live, but you know what it does? It, it, it tells us, like, this is what we're supposed to be like, and we try to be that way, and we can't. Why? Because we've all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And you know what the law couldn't do? The law couldn't give us the power and strength and new life to live the way God wants us to. All it could do was show us how short we fall. That was its purpose. Let's go to, let's keep reading. I want to read that last verse. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. We don't need the law as our guardian. And then let's go to chapter 5, just to read a couple verses here. He references in 5, the Judaizers again, in verse 12. This is very strong language the Apostle Paul is using I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you against circumcision was very important to them, who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. I'm not going to explain to you what that means, but you think about it. It's like, this is Sunday church. I can't say that. You know what Paul was saying? Maybe I should say that. I wish those guys would castrate themselves. That's how serious this stuff was to our great Apostle Paul, who Jesus said when he, remember when Paul got saved and went into Damascus, and then the Holy Spirit says to Ananias, Ananias, I want you to go pray for Saul. He's in this guy's house. And Lord, are you kidding me? Do you know who this guy is? <laughs> Ananias is talking to God like this. And, and he says, Ananias, go. He's my chosen vessel to take my gospel to the Jews, to kings, and to Gentiles. This is the Apostle Paul using this kind of language. I wish these false teachers who are taking you back into observing the law, thinking you're gonna be more righteous by going back to the Torah, I wish they would be cut off themselves. Verse 13, for you, you have been called to live in freedom. Hallelujah. How many love the freedom of the gospel? Amen. Right? The freedom that lets us do anything we want, no matter what the Bible says? No. That's not freedom. That's bondage. The freedom to live unashamed, cleansed before God, knowing where he, he's our father, we're his children. The blood of Jesus has done an amazing work in us, in us because it's his provision, his gift. By the way, do you know why New Testament believers can be indwelt by the Holy Spirit? The Old Covenant believers couldn't be? You know, the, the Holy Spirit would descend on prophets and certain people and anoint them for a season, but the difference of the New Covenant is we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Do you realize what a precious gift that is? It's an amazing gift. you know why? 
because we have better covenant, better promises, purchased with better blood. Not with the blood of bulls and goats, but this high priest once for all entered the tabernacle in heaven for you and made atonement for your sins once for all. Absolute slate wiped clean. Next year, Yom Kippur, you don't have to have another uh, celebration where the priest goes in offering blood for himself first with bells on his garments so that if he's got sin and he dies, we could reach in, we'll know the bell stop, we'll reach in with a hook and grab him out because that's where the Holy Ark of the Covenant, nobody could go in except him once a year. He offers blood for himself first, then for the sins of the people, and another year of forgiveness. Temporary atonement, grace, the grace of God, provision that sin won't send us to hell. Old Testament believers were saved by the same grace we're saved with. Under that covenant, there was provision for sin. But it was year after year, and some, some sacrifices day after day, and week after week. And, but when you read through the book of Hebrews, which I'll challenge you to do, you'll see the blood of the Lamb of God the Lord Jesus Christ, the one John the Baptist, when he saw him, said, behold. He didn't say, behold the King of Israel. Behold the, the Holy One of God. He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knew it. That blood that Christ shed at Calvary, he ascended to heaven and offered it in the tabernacle in heaven, the, the one on earth that Moses built, was built after the pattern of the one in heaven, he offered his blood, fully accepted by the Father, so that your sins and my sins are absolutely paid for in full. So that we, not by our self-righteousness, but by the gift of righteousness, could be made fit vessels to receive and house the Holy Spirit of God. It's all about Jesus. The true gospel of grace makes us fall more and more and more and more in love with Jesus. Okay, so let's, let's do that slide, Ben. What was accomplished through the old covenant? Well, it revealed the holy character of God. God revealed himself to Moses and the children of Israel, his character, what he was like, and what it took. Number two, it set forth, set forth standards of righteousness, okay, including a civil law. The, you know, the law, the 613 commandments, was that if Kent steals my oxen, he's got to restore it, plus, I forget if it's four or seven, but there were civil laws. If this happened, this happened, you're going to be my people you're gonna walk in righteousness. You're gonna treat each other with respect. You're gonna honor me. You're gonna worship me. So uh, it revealed the holy character of God. It set forth standards of righteousness. It exposed all men as guilty before a holy God. It revealed sin. Well, what could it not do? It couldn't deliver us from the power of sin. Okay, that's why Christ came. It provided temporary atonement, number four, and forgiveness for sins. And again, God's grace through faith. Somebody asked me, so were all the children of Israel justified then if they brought sacrifices? I said, no. God, God ever and always has, has looked at the heart. So if some guy is going, I hate this stupid 
stuff, but I'll go and I'll bring my sacrifice and have to take another lamb out of my flock. And, and if somebody went there and just went through the motions, you think that they were justified before God? No. You think if somebody just goes to church begrudgingly, well, the wife, she makes me do this, I'll go to please her and this and that, and really doesn't have a, a heart of faith toward God, are they going to be justified? No. Ever and always, it was faith in God and grace provided from him for us to be saved. In the Old Testament, it was through the sacrificial blood of the, the animals that God said, this is what you do. But in the Old Testament, they were longing, the truly devout ones were longing for the day that Messiah would come. Remember Anna, Christmas stories coming? Remember that prophetess woman? Man, she just hangs out at the temple all the time. All the time. But you know, she recognized Joseph and Mary when they brought the babe for the dedication. And she said, this is the Messiah. How about Simeon? Remember that old priest? The Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, Simeon, you're not going to die until you see the Mashiach, the Messiah. Simeon had his eyes open. When Joseph and Mary came in, he lifted up the babe and said, now... I can go in peace, for my eyes have seen the Savior. They were just another Jewish couple bringing another baby for dedication to the temple. But those who are longing and looking recognized faith. And number five, prepared mankind, that's all of us, for God's ultimate gift, redemption through Messiah, The old covenant was a wonderful gift from God to the Jewish people and to the world, but it was there for a time and purpose. So how do we, as New Testament believers, relate to the Old Testament scriptures? This is an important point, okay? We understand that there's much that's in the Old Testament scriptures that applied to the children of Israel. It was God's covenant with the children of Israel. So if you were to go home and say, well, I, it says that I should offer a calf to, to pay for my sins. If you were to do, do that, that would just be such an insult to God who gave his son for you. But it says it in the Bible. It says a lot of things that applied to the Jewish people that doesn't apply to us. Why? because they related to God through a covenant that's been replaced. It's been fulfilled. Jesus said, I haven't come to abolish it, I've come to fulfill it. Now the child of promise was here and he has changed some things. Do you remember, this was quite a moment, the Pharisees took this woman, they thrust her in front of Jesus, this prophet, teacher, different spirit about him. He was such a threat to them. Master, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Moses says, we should stone her to death. What do you say? And you know what it's, the Bible tells us Jesus did? He stooped on his knees and he was writing with his finger in the sand. 
You know who wrote? The epitome of the Old Covenant was written by what? The finger of God on what? Tablets of stone. They were kept in the Ark of the Covenant. That same finger was writing in the sand a new covenant. And he didn't say, well, let's, not, let's break the old covenant. He didn't say that. He said, anybody that's here among you that has no sin, you cast the first stone. And says they all left one at a time. It's really interesting. It says from the oldest to the youngest. How many of us know that have gray hair on here? That the older we get, we don't stand before God and say, thank you that I'm so righteous. Like the Pharisee said, Lord, thank you that I'm so righteous, not like that sinner, that tax collector. I do this, I do this, I do that. The tax collector said, oh God, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. If we're growing in Christ, we're like the tax collector, we're not like the Pharisee. And so the older ones left first, because we just know, the more we walk with God, the more we see how holy he is and how much we need him. They left first. Woman, says they all left. Where are your accusers? They've all left, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go and live in false grace. Just do whatever you want. No, he didn't say that. What did he say? He said, go and sin no more. You're forgiven. This was the ushering in of a new covenant. He was there ushering it in. So, How do we relate to the Old Testament scriptures? They are God's word for us, but they are not necessarily God's commands to us. It is the Bible. It is our Bible. But there are certain things that were commanded Israel that are not commanded to us any longer, okay? The Old Testament laws are only binding when they are restated and reinforced in the New Testament. And you know what's very interesting? All of the Ten Commandments, nine of them are restated and reinforced numerous times in the New Testament. You know which one? And they're all moral and ethical in nature, the nine. There's one ceremonial commandment in the ten, and who knows which one that is? It's the Sabbath law. Keep the Sabbath holy. And the New Testament is very explicit that Sabbath rest is is not fulfilled in the observance of a day. Again, the book of Hebrews. It's fulfilled in the knowledge of a person. Through Jesus Christ, we have entered in to Sabbath rest with God. And it's actually specifically addressed in the New Testament that it's no longer a particular day. You could worship. Matter of fact, the early church, the reason we're here today on Sunday is because the early church began to worship on the day of the Lord's resurrection instead of the Sabbath. So there's a Sabbath principle. How many know it's really good to have rest in your life, first of all, in your relationship with Christ, second of all, not to be a workaholic, amen? Any workaholics here, Steve? You want me to give them a... No, I'm kidding. Um, So Sabbath is, is, is a principle. By the way, You know what the New Testament commands? This. Some people think, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. It's true. You don't have to go to church to be saved. 
But you know, the Bible says you ought to go and be faithful. Do not forsake the assembling together as some do. So Christians who are not involved in a church are in direct disobedience to the New Testament commands of God. And, and I found that when, when Christians just leave and they're not involved in fellowship, they're, they're still saved, but they're not growing. They're not experiencing the peace and joy and, uh, of being connected. And they're missing the blessing that comes from being part of a healthy church family. Okay, so when somebody comes to you and says, well, why don't you obey the whole Bible? How come you're eating pork? Is there any pork in the dinner after? Because I love pork. <laughs> um, I'm being a little kidding. I actually do like, how many here don't like bacon? Everybody likes bacon. But you know, if we were, if we were Jews living under the old covenant, we would not eat bacon. We do that unto the Lord. But when somebody says to you, how come you don't obey the whole Bible? You say to them, well, actually, you're right. That is in the Bible, but that's in the old covenant. That's what the children of Israel, they related to God through the old covenant. And they could not eat pork. But you know, in the New Testament that Jesus instituted, it says very clearly that all foods are clean when they're received with thanksgiving. That's why. How come you don't keep the Sabbath? Well, because it says in the New Testament, we're not under the Sabbath law like Israel was. We relate to God through the New Covenant. I want to close with Luke chapter 22. And I just pray, when do you do communion here, Steve? Okay, the last Sunday of every other month. Remember when Moses gave the, read the law to, to the people? And they said, everything God says, we will do. You know what Jesus said, the whole law? You, you, know what, you know what the new covenant that you relate to God through? You know what the commands, all the commands of the new covenant, Jesus said, are summed up? He said, even the old, they didn't realize this, but they're summed up in two commandments from the law. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Those are both from the Old Testament. Jesus quoted them. One from Deuteronomy 6.5, the other Leviticus 19.18. Luke 22.19, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces, gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup, and in the Passover Seder, this was the third cup called the cup of redemption. He took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Do you realize every time you take communion, you are re iterating that you are in covenant relationship with God. You are in this very personal, very committed, very faithful, very loyal covenant with the living God 
the God of all creation, because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you, the blood that washed you spotlessly clean and provided for you forgiveness for all your sins, past, present, and future. So I just pray that next time you take communion, you realize not just a little religious tradition, it is a renewing and a reminding and a remembering of the amazing love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ that was made for you so that you could be right with God and live with him forever. Steve? Thank you, Larry. That was so good and enlightening teaching there, wasn't it? Um, can we get those notes to put on our website or on our Facebook page? And also the audio will be on our SoundCloud, SoundCloud so you can hear it again. And because uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing so much there. And by the way, Next Sunday, we're having communion. It's the last Sunday of November. So we will be having communion next Sunday. And uh, we're going to do, well, there's three things before us. One is the fellowship meal that we mentioned. The second is we're going to have Larry and Becky. I'd like you all to meet them. We're going to have them in the back door here in the middle. If you could just come by. Just give them a handshake or a hug or whatever. But then also Darlene will be back there to receive offerings. And we just want to give them a really special offering this morning if the Lord inclines your heart that way, just to bless them financially today. But then the third part is, and even from this teaching here, if, the Lord, if something was stirred in your heart, if you haven't received Jesus as your Savior before, We'll have ministers up here to pray with you, altar ministers, and uh, to receive him as your Savior. Or maybe you haven't received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We welcome you to come forward to receive the baptism in the Spirit. Or if you need to just, would you like someone to stand with you in prayer to be released into that freedom that Larry was talking about this morning, Pastor Larry. Just, just taking that step. Sometimes another brother or sister praying with us, just making that step together. Or if you need healing in your physical body, that's another area. So we'll be doing these things now. And Larry and Becky, I'd like to ask you to stand and we'll go to the back here and... God bless you all, and his peace upon you, his grace is with you as we go out there as his lights in this world. Amen? God bless you.